Good morning, my name is Dwayne Spearman. Welcome to Directional Bible Ministries. This is a teaching ministry that desires to teach all men what is the fellowship of the mystery. Last time that we were together, we uh, finished session 12, and we entered into chapter number 3, and we looked at verses 1 through 2, um, where he says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. What call? The fact that he was teaching that Jew and Gentile are now one in Christ. Um, down in, um, in Ephesians, uh, let's see, chapter 3, see verse number 4, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it is now revealed in his holy, went to his holy apostles and prophets. So the fact that he was teaching, um, that uh, the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. So that's the cause. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you. Um, interesting, while Paul was physically a prisoner in Rome, he viewed himself as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And we talked about that. And then verse number two, if ye have heard... Let me turn down the volume just a little bit here. It's loud. Um, if ye have heard the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to given me to you word. So, very important verse in that it mentions the very thing that our Reformed brethren deny, which is dispensationalism. Um, and the word, like I said, I mean, it can be various, variously translated as if ye have heard of the administration of the grace of God, which is given to me, or the economy of the grace of God, or the stewardship of the grace of God, but the meaning is the same. And it is used multiple times throughout the Bible. Uh, and we talked about that last time. Uh, then we also talked about how there's two basic methods of interpreting the Bible. Uh, you're either going to have to look at it through a reformed covenantal, um, you know, lens, or you're going to look at it through a dispensational lens. And again, the, the covenantal lens is that God deals, uh, with man through a series of covenants, um, through a lens of covenants. And they go back to the Adamic covenant, the Noahic, the Abrahamic, the Mosaic, the problem with that is that as a right-dividing dispensationalist, which is me, um, Gentiles are not under covenants. We've never been under covenants. Um, Adam was, you know, Adam wasn't a Jew. Noah wasn't a Jew. The Jews didn't come about until Abraham, uh, the Hebrew nation, but Covenants, we are not as a people today under a covenant. We are not in the new covenant. That's a completely different Bible study. The covenant was offered, the new covenant was offered to the people of the old covenant. The people of the old covenant was the nation of Israel, not the Gentiles. Um, right now, we are not under a covenant at all. The new covenant was rejected because the nation of Israel rejected the offer of the kingdom. So we're not under a covenant. So to me, the whole argument, I remember I was just talking to a brother 
one of my, you know, several years ago, I just started to kind of, you know, I was at a crux. I was at a crossing the road. I was a crisis where I'm like, you know, there's a lot of reformed people out there. Matter of fact, it's growing very quickly. Whole denominations that for years were dispensational and now going covenant. Southern Baptist Convention, i.e., um, so many of them are, are going down the reformed route. Why? You know, so I started looking into it and I started studying it. And the more I looked into it, the more I studied it, the more dispensational I became. Um, because I, I just reject covenantal theology um, wholeheartedly. <laughs> I mean, I just reject it. Maybe you don't. That's fine. You know, study it. And, you know, be convinced in your own mind, you know, even if you're wrong. I mean, just you got to study in it. You, you know, be ready to give an answer. I mean... Uh, on the other hand, dispensationalists see the scripture through the lens of dispensations, which are defined as particular means by which God deals with man and creation given in a period uh, in redemptive here in history. To me, dispensationalism makes a lot more sense than covenantalism or reform theology. Um, and again, one of the biggest arguments that those types will throw out is, well, dispensationalism did not originate until the 19th century under John Nelson Darby and popularized by C.I. Schofield in the Schofield Reference Bible. Well, I believe, you know, the early church was dispensational. They believed that Christ was going to come. He was going to reestablish the kingdom. You know, they saw things very linearly. Um, if anybody drew charts, you know, dispensationalists are, are accused of loving charts. That's because, you know, we don't see this circular argument. We don't see this covenant system. We see a linear system where God, you know, just he did that. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. And after he does that, he's going to do this. I mean, we love charts, you know, because we see God working you know, uh, throughout a period that we call redemptive history. Um, so again, dispensationalism is a method of, of interpreting history that divides God's work and purposes toward mankind into different periods of time. And again, I mean, there's there, even among dispensationalists, there's arguments about, well, how many dispensations are there? Some say there's seven. Some say there's nine. And when we, we went over that last time. You know, the dispensation of innocence, you know, Adam and Eve, you know, they're they're in the garden, they're innocent, but then they sin and they were expelled from the garden. Innocence was lost. Then we went into a time of conscience. There was no law. Conscience means with knowledge and with their knowledge of God. They were just, you know, they had no law per se, uh, you know, and it began with the first sin. It ended with the flood or it began with, you know, the expulsion you know, and it ended with the flood. And then you have a, a period of time in which God's dealing with man according to human government, you know, Genesis 9, you know, through 11, from post-flood to the Tower of Babel, you know, when God confused their languages and forced them to scatter based on their language groups. And then there was a period of promise, you know, God came to Abraham. You know, and God made this promise. And the Lord said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house into a land that I will show thee. And he begins to make these promises to this man, Abraham. Okay. 
So it begins with the promises, and, and, and those promises continue through Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. But it ended with the Jewish exodus from Egypt under Moses when the law came in. That's when, you know, Moses was given the law in Exodus chapter 20. Again, God doesn't change, but his ways and methods of dealing with a man has certainly changed. And, you know, the commonly accepted period of the law is Exodus to Acts 2. Um, And, of course, Acts 2, people will argue that was the birth of the church, you know, which I would disagree with that. I don't think there was anything Christian about Acts 2. There was no birth of the church. It was Pentecost. It was the offering of the kingdom to the nation of Israel. Uh, So I would say law continued through Acts 2 to Acts 9. Acts 9 is where grace actually began. That's when God manifested himself to the Apostle Paul um, and gave the gospel of grace. You know, And that grace period is going to run all the way through um, the millennial kingdom. Um, now, again, uh, some would say, well, it's going to end at the rapture of the church. Um, well, yes, that's what I would say, too. I mean, grace is going to end when the last Christian comes in um, and the church is going to be raptured, removed, and then God is going to be dealing with man under the law again during that seven-year tribulation period, uh, and it will end with the second coming and the establishment of the millennial kingdom. Um, though some people will say, "See, there's nine. There's se- there's seven. There's nine dispensations because you got grace. Then you go back under law again, and then you have, you know, the millennial reign of Christ." And then you have the eternal state beyond that. So, but either way, we we see these dispensations in which God is dealing with man in a certain way throughout this period of redemptive history. That's what dispensationalism is. That is the filter through which we interpret uh, the Bible. Of course, the Reformed types don't do it that way. Um, They see... You know, the church has, it's always been where there's just one people of God. Uh, It's not, you know, the church has always been Israel. Israel's always been the church. They're one and the same, you know, and and we talked about that last time. Um, But anyway, if you want to study that, go back and look at session 12. Um, But then look at the end of verse 2. He says, if you've heard the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me, to you word. In other words, something was given to the Apostle Paul that wasn't given to anybody else. And what was given to the Apostle Paul? The dispensation of grace was given to the Apostle Paul, and it was given to him for you, for us. Okay? Um, the, the ones that were the recipients of this grace that was given to the Apostle Paul. And again, this, <clears throat> this dispensation of grace you know, it's, it's like when Moses went up to, I was talking to a brother about this this morning. There's only so many people in history who has, who have been in the presence of God. You know, Moses, when he went up and he received the law, which began the dispensation of the law, Abraham was in the presence of God. Well, that was the dispensation of promise. And then Jesus, uh, not Jesus, but the apostle Paul, 
was in the presence of God. On in, in Acts chapter number 9, at his conversion, which is when the dispensation of grace began, people downplay how important what happened to Paul in Acts chapter number 9. <clears throat> they downplay that. There was a revelation given to him. What was that revelation? The dispensation of grace was given to Paul for us. Um, and Paul was the only apostle this was given to. I mean, if Paul was preaching the same thing that Peter was preaching, why would God have to give him some special revelation? He could have just got it from Peter. But obviously what Paul received was different than what Peter had received because at the, at the council in Jerusalem in Acts 15, Paul had to go back and explain this to Peter, James and John, to the other ones because they didn't understand it. And they agreed you know, that he would go to the uncircumcision, the Gentiles, and they would continue to go to the circumcision, the Jews. There was obviously an agreement that they were teaching different things, different gospels, you know, and Paul repeats this. I mean, it's obvious. I mean, look at all these verses. Romans eleven thirteen. For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles. I magnify in mine office. Who was the apostle to the Gentiles? It wasn't Peter. It was Paul. Paul went to the Gentiles. Peter didn't go to the Gentiles. Yeah, he went to Cornelius. Yeah, but that what he didn't preach the gospel of grace to Peter. He he preached baptism and repentance to Peter. I mean to Cornelius. He didn't preach grace to Cornelius. In Romans twelve three, for I say through the grace given to me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought. Why? What was given to Paul? He says, the grace was given unto me. Romans 15, nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that was given to me that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to who? The Gentiles. Ministering what? The gospel of God that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable. In 1 Corinthians 9, For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed to me. Something was given to Paul that wasn't given to the others. And what was it? It was this dispensation of grace. In Galatians 1, uh, 15, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen. Who's the heathen? The Gentiles. And he said, I didn't confer with flesh and blood. In other words, I didn't go back to Jerusalem and talk to Peter, Peter and James or John. I got this directly from God himself. In Galatians 2, 8, and 9, For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same one was mighty in me to the Gentiles. Guys, I mean, Peter and Paul did not preach the same gospel. Peter preached a kingdom gospel that required repentance and baptism, fully expecting the nation to repent. It was a national salvation. It was not an individual salvation. It was a gospel that was preached. And gospel just means good news. Good news, okay? And there's more than one. Um, Peter taught a kingdom gospel, and the 12 taught the other 11, taught a kingdom gospel that required repentance and baptism with the full expectation that the nation would repent 
and God would immediately bring in, you know, Daniel's 70th week. The clock would keep ticking. They would roll into the tribulation period, which is Hebrews through Revelation. They're called Hebrew, they're called Hebrew epistles because they were written to Hebrews, <laughs> which we are not Hebrews unless you're a covenant in your theology. You know, we're all one and same, according to them. Um, and at the end of that, the second coming would come and the millennial reign of Christ would begin. That is what Peter and the other 11 thought was going to happen, and that's the message they preach. Paul did not preach that message, and I'll submit to you, and I've changed in this regard, and Paul never preached that message. Paul preached the gospel of God, as did Peter. What was the gospel of God? Well, the gospel of God, according to Romans 1, 1 through 4, Let's see, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son Jesus, our Lord, who was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. So what is the gospel of God? That Jesus was of the seed of David and he you know, he was crucified and raised from the dead. That's the gospel of God. And Peter preached that. Paul preached that. But Peter did not preach the grace gospel, which is mere simply believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. No, Peter always said you need to repent. You need to get baptized. Galatians 2, 8 and 9. Let's look at that. For he wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship to the circumcision. The same was mighty in me toward who? The Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave to me and to Barnabas the right-hand fellowship that we should go to the heathen, and they to who? To the circumcision. They continued to go to the nation of Israel. In Colossians 1.25, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery, which had been hid from ages and from generations, but now has been made manifest to his saints. In uh, 1 Timothy 1.11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to who? My trust, not our trust, my trust. First Timothy 2 7, whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ and I lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles. This was something that was given to Paul. And that's what he says there in that verse. Let's get back. In Ephesians, uh, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to given me to you, it was given to me to give to you, and is it was exclusively given to Paul. And then he says in verse three, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge of the mystery in the mystery of Christ. Again, we are. I mean. You ask people today, what is the mystery? Oh, that um, um, Gentiles would be saved, that Jew and Gentile would make up this church. 
you know? I mean, no. The, the mystery was that Gentiles would be fellow heirs, fellow citizens with the Jews by their fall. By their fall. David Reed, who I really like to listen to a lot, uh, Columbus Bible Church in Columbus, Ohio, He's the one that said this. The mystery was that the Gentiles would be fellow heirs through their fall. In other words, the nation of Israel would fall. It would decline. And that's how the Gentiles would become fellow heirs. And and we see that here. See, this right here is what would have, could have, should have happened. You know, Jesus came, you know, and he preached to the nation of Israel, you know, and Peter stood up, offered the kingdom to them. Stephen stood up, offered the kingdom to them. And if they would have accepted it, they would have rolled right into the seven-year tribulation and straightened in the second coming and to the the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ and into eternity. But instead, this is what happened. They killed Stephen. And Israel began to diminish, and God raised up the Apostle Paul to go do what they were not willing to do. But one day, the last of the Gentiles, the last person, and Jew and Gentile today, the only way you can be saved today is through the gospel of grace, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, believing in that. Repentance, baptism does not save you. It's pure belief, simple belief in the, in the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Once the last person, the last human being accepts that, the, the church, the body of Christ is going to be raptured out. And then God will pick up. He'll do what he was going to do. You see that? That's the gospel that Paul preached. That was the revelation that was given to Paul, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. As I wrote for in a few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. I have come to know that if you do not correctly understand the mystery as revealed to the Apostle Paul and its significance, you will never know how to rightly interpret or understand your Bible, and you will walk in a constant state of confusion. The word today is make it harmonize. You know, when James says something that contradicts Paul or when Peter says something that contradicts Paul, harmonize it. There is no harmony between what Peter was saying and what James was saying with what Paul was saying because they were saying two different things to two different people groups. Peter and John, Peter and James and John were writing to the nation of Israel about a kingdom gospel about their Messiah, their king, who they expected would come. Paul wrote to the uncircumcision, okay? Um, and, and as long as you're trying to harmonize it, it's never going to make sense. Normally, it doesn't take more than a few minutes to determine if someone understands it with me. I mean, as soon as they start talking and they start throwing around words like, You know, we're bringing in the kingdom. We're building the kingdom. Oh, it's all for the kingdom. You know, um, you know, the average altar call, you need to repent, you know, admit ABC, you know, you need to admit, you know, you need to admit, believe and commit, 
You know, you need a mature sinner, which is repentance. You need to believe in the gospel, and you need to commit your life to Christ. Well, it doesn't, the gospel of grace is simply believe. It doesn't require baptism. It doesn't require works. It doesn't require anything. Faith plus works is not the grace gospel. Faith plus anything is not the grace gospel. So it doesn't take me long to figure out where somebody's coming from here. And the older I get, I know the more stubborn I get, the more hard-headed I get, the more the more dogmatic I get. Um, the 12 only received the mysteries of the kingdom. That's it. They did not receive the mystery of the, of the grace gospel. You know, in Matthew 13, 11, and he answered and said to them, because it is given unto you, know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. That's what was given to the 12. They were not given the mystery that was given to the Paul, given to Paul. Remember all these verses? They were not given any of that. Okay. Notice the parenthetical. As I wrote, see there, it's follow, there's a, a parenthesis here. How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, parentheses, as I wrote afore in a few, bur, few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. That's a parenthetical statement there. It could read, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of man, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. But he sticks this parenthetical statement in there. What is he saying? He's saying that I've written about this to you before in a few words. What had he written to them about before in a few words? The mystery. He's referring to, <clears throat> in Ephesians 1.9, he mentioned it, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. Um, also in Ephesians 2.19, he said, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. He also mentioned it in Galatians chapter 1, verse number 15, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his Son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I did not confer with flesh and blood. So he's saying, I've written, I've told you about this before. I've written to you about this before. And he had written to it, to them about it in his previous writings. Now, there are those who hold uh, what is called an Acts 28. There's basically, in the church today, you're, you're one of three. You're either an Acts 2, an Acts 9, or an Acts 28, period. You may, you may not be able to define it, but you're one or the other. The church either started in Acts 2 at Pentecost, which is the overwhelming vast majority of the church today, or a mid-Acts position, which is me, uh, which is the, the church started with Paul, Acts 9, with his salvation. He was the first one. Or it started after Acts. Uh, in other words, Paul, while Paul was converted in Acts 9, Paul did not understand the grace. He did not understand the grace gospel. He preached the kingdom gospel until after uh, the Acts period, Acts 28. Um Therefore, they would say, the Acts 28ers, would say that anything that Paul wrote during the Acts period uh, did not contain the grace gospel. 
because he wrote it during the Acts period, so he didn't understand it. So when he wrote Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, and Thessalonians, none of that had the mystery in it. Therefore, only the books that he wrote after Acts, which would have been Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, Philemon, Timothy, only those talk about the body of Christ. The problem with that is what Paul just said, as I wrote a four in a few words. <laughs> what did he write a four in a few words? He mentioned the grace gospel in Romans. He mentioned the grace gospel in Corinthians. He mentioned the grace gospel in Galatians. So that argument does not hold water with me, the, the whole Acts 28 argument. Those who hold this position say that Paul preached the kingdom gospel in the Acts period. And it wasn't until after the Acts period that he began to preach the grace gospel. But again, that word mystery, the mystery, Paul talks about the mystery in Romans and in Corinthians. And he says there, as I wrote afore, in other words, before Ephesians, these books here, he says he wrote about it before Ephesians. So again, the Acts 28 position. To me today, I mean, again, there's your Acts 2, your Acts 9, or your Acts 28. Uh, Acts 2 is by far the most predominant in the church today. Mid-Acts, you know, which is Acts 9, Paul's conversion, and then there's Acts 28. Acts 28, I believe, is by far the more minority position. But Acts 2 is just overwhelmingly the most popular today. Um, let's see, we've been going 30 minutes. Um, let me just look at verse 5, today's Sunday. Which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. What does he mean there? Let's get the context here. Acts 3.1, for this cause... I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. For what cause? The fact that he was preaching the mystery that Jew and Gentile would be one in this new man, this body of Christ. That's why I'm in jail. If you've heard of the dispensation of the grace of God that was given to me for you, which the dispensation of the grace of God was given only to the Apostle Paul, and that was the gospel of grace, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery of that fact, that I wrote in a few words, whereby when you read it you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which he did explain. Uh, again, I think Paul did grow go revel. He received multiple revelations. I don't think everything was poured out on him in Acts nine. He he began to understand that Israel would diminish. He began to understand that that the nation of Israel was going to be set aside. He began to understand that there was going to be a postponement uh, that was going to happen as a result of the nation being set aside, the, the, in which this new man, the body of Christ, would take shape and would end with the rapture, and then God would pick up his plan with the nation of Israel. I don't. All that wasn't just downloaded into Paul in Acts 9. He came from revelation to revelation, and I believe by the time Paul had penned his prison epistles, he understood that thoroughly, and that's what he was preaching. 
So when he says in verse 5, which in other ages was not made known unto the Son of Man, in other words, they did not know as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body, partakers of his promise in Christ by this grace gospel. So again, Paul clearly saying that what he received was not what was given to the 12 or anyone else for that matter. But it now has been revealed to Paul, through Paul, to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Now, who are these holy apostles and prophets? He can't be referring to the Old Testament apostles. He can't be talking about, uh, I mean, Old Testament prophets. He can't be talking about Ezekiel in Isaiah and Jeremiah, because none of this stuff was revealed to them. And he can't even be talking about the 12 because it wasn't revealed to them. He has to be talking about another set of prophets and apostles, people that he shared it with. Now, some, now, and and he mentions these in Ephesians 2.20. You remember we looked at it and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. The church wasn't built upon the 12. The church wasn't built upon the Old Testament prophets. He has to be talking about another group of apostles and prophets, a group that understood the mystery that was shared to him, and he shared it to them. Now, again, you know, I I don't want to get too deep. We don't have enough time. We'll look at this next time. Um, we we get together, um, and I, and I'll go into this a, a whole lot more. Um, but again, I want things that are similar are not the same. Okay, these holy apostles he's talking about here are not the twelve, and these prophets he's referring to here are not the Old Testament prophets. Why? Because they did not understand the knowledge of the mystery of Christ. He can't be referring to them, and we'll get into that. I mean, it it affects everything. Trust me. <laughs> I mean, um, Ephesians four eleven, and he gave some, you know, uh, apostles and prophets and evangelists, pastors, teachers for the equipping of the saints. You know, I mean, who's he talking about there? Is he talking about Old Testament people? Is he talking about the twelve? I would submit to you, no, he's not. And we'll talk about that a little more next time. God bless you guys. Hope you have a great day. And uh, remember that God loves you. He wants the best for you. He's working all things out for our good.